What's up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing should the Detroit Lions draft safety Kyle Hamilton second overall? Kenneth Walker or Brees Hall, who is the best running back prospect in the 2022 NFL Draft? Will quarterback Malik Willis get drafted in the top 10? And lastly, I'm going to be giving you guys my thoughts to Keenan Allen calling out sports media. Now, if this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. If you haven't already, you can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore. My Instagram is at JT Sports underscore. And if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. I got a question from JT Sports on Twitter. He writes in and asks, should the Detroit Lions draft Kyle Hamilton second overall? Now, before I answer this question, I want to tell you guys that my old Twitter account recently got hacked and it got disabled, so I had to create a new one. So if you guys have any questions that you guys would like to have answered potentially on the podcast, follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore submit your questions there and potentially your question could be answered on a episode or segment of the JT Sports podcast. Now I'm not going to promise to answer every single question on the podcast. However, I will pick a couple of good questions that I get asked and I will feature them on the podcast. So if you guys want your questions answered potentially on a episode, go ahead and submit them on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore. So when you look at the Detroit Lions and the possibility of them drafting Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, a lot of people are going to tell you that you shouldn't draft a defensive back in the top five or the top 10. Normally, you see quarterbacks, offensive tackles, and pass rushers going in the top five and the top 10 the majority of the time. However, Kyle Hamilton isn't your typical defensive back. You know, like, this is somebody who did it all at Notre Dame. He... Pretty much played safety, but he was utilized in the slot, sometimes as like another linebacker in certain scenarios. So with Kyle Hamilton, like when you have somebody who has this kind of skill set and this kind of versatility, it's pretty reasonable to make the argument for them being drafted in the top five in the top 10. You know, this isn't your traditional coverage safety or your traditional run support safety. This is somebody who can cover tight ends, running backs in the passing game. This is somebody who can help out against the run, get tackles behind the line of scrimmage. This is also somebody who has really good ball skills and is really good in coverage. So Kyle Hamilton can do it all. When you have somebody who can have this kind of contribution on defense in the run game and in the passing game is definitely fair to make the conversation of them being one of the first players to get taken off the board and Kyle Hamilton is one of the most talented prospects in this draft class to me he's the best defensive player in this draft class but you know it's funny because Kyle Hamilton got a lot of love before the combine 
And then after his combined performance, a lot of people are now starting to harp on him. And then, you know, there are a lot of people now, since we're in the midst of draft season, who are now starting to dive into the film. And some people's first impressions of Kyle Hamilton aren't all that impressive. And I can understand because you look at Kyle Hamilton. He's 6'4", 220 pounds. And him running a 4'5", 9 is kind of a disappointment. I'm not even going to lie to you because I'm thinking Kyle Hamilton was going to be like this freak athlete who was going to test crazy and off the charts and whatnot. And it didn't really happen. But that doesn't mean he's not a great athlete. He's a phenomenal athlete. I mean, he has great range, great length. He's very fluid for his size. Like, he's a great athlete. He's just not an explosive athlete. You know, he's he's really... Like, he has a really good football IQ. He's really good when it comes to diagnosing plays. When he sees it, he's coming down. Like, that's the thing that I don't think not enough people talk about with Kyle Hamilton. Like, this guy is a natural football player. Like, he has a natural nose for the football. Like, you guys saw the ridiculous interceptions that he had against Florida State. One, which he literally tracked the ball from halfway across the field and intercepted it on the sidelines. Like it was a ridiculous play. Like if, you know, I didn't get a copyright strike for every single time I wanted to show, you know, some clips, I would show you guys the clips, but you know, YouTube and they're done behind a little fair use system or they're done behind a copyright system. But you look at Kyle Hamilton. When he gets inside the box, this guy is a monster. And for Detroit, like, if you're Dan Campbell and defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, you probably might have to go through a little bit of trial and error to find out what is the best way to utilize Kyle Hamilton. Because... Inside the box, this dude is like another linebacker. He's like making plays behind the line of scrimmage. He's shutting down tight ends and running backs. He's really effective inside the box. And a lot of people believe that, you know, that he potentially could switch to linebacker. And I definitely feel like he should only change to linebacker if he can't play safety at a really high level. But I think that he can. However, it is worth noting that there are a lot of risk that comes with Kyle Hamilton. And drafting Kyle Hamilton would be more of a gamble than Detroit using the second overall selection to draft, you know, Aiden Hutchison or Kayvon Thibodeau. Because when you have players on the defensive end who are utilized in different positions on the defensive side of the football in college, Oftentimes, they're okay or good in certain areas of their game, but they don't have any great areas of their game. So even though Kyle Hamilton looked really impressive with the ability to be versatile and play several different positions for Notre Dame, when he gets to Detroit, most likely that versatility is kind of going to go down a little bit. You're not going to be able to utilize him as much if you're the Detroit Lions. Like, Notre Dame was able to use him. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, I don't really think that he's going to be covering a lot of 
receivers in the slot because even though he is really good and coverage against tight ends and running backs his coverage skills against wide receivers aren't really all that great they're definitely a drop down compared to his coverage abilities against running backs and tight ends against receivers not all that great and when you're going against slot receivers in the NFL like you have to have really good burst and really good short area quickness something that Kyle Hamilton isn't really doesn't really have so I don't really think that we're going to see Kyle Hamilton lining up and guarding receivers in the slot because I just don't think that he has the functional short area quickness and burst to be able to play the slot position at a high level however I do feel like he's going to be really good coming downhill against the run and then run support and whatnot he also is going to be really good in nickel and dime packages can kind of be used as like another um linebacker in a sense so for Kyle Hamilton really his success is going to be dependent on one the creativity of the defensive coordinator that he's going to two you have to have a defensive coordinator that is going to be patient with Kyle Hamilton and also a defensive coordinator that is going to be willing to experiment because You saw Michael Parsons. He was very versatile. He played linebacker and he also played edge, but there was a learning curve. So when you have somebody like Kyle Hamilton, you have to find a defensive coordinator that can kind of unpack things in a way that isn't going to confuse him and doesn't end up in him having a disastrous rookie season. Because with Arizona, remember when they first drafted Isaiah Simmons? He barely was touching the field. Like his NFL debut was terrible. He had a lot of missed assignments. He wasn't all that great in coverage. And Arizona had to keep moving Isaiah Simmons around until they was able to find a good place for him that was best able to utilize his strengths. So for the Detroit Lions and their defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, you know, I do think potentially there is going to be a little bit of trial and error when it comes to drafting Kyle Hamilton. And a lot of people are probably going to make the argument and say that JT, like, taking the safety at two is dumb because we already know that pass rushers result in more wins and they impact the game more than safeties, which it's, it's true to an extent. And the reason why I say to extend is because, yes, pass rushers impact the game and a little bit more than what great safeties do. But if you have a truly elite safety like a Tyran Matthew and Amiga Fitzpatrick that can contribute against the run in the pass and are also really good when it comes to covering running backs and tight ends, your defense is going to be taken to another level. And on top of that, when you have a safety that can do this many things, you have a safety that pretty much is giving you maybe two or three wins. So I would take two, three wins compared to maybe a pass rusher that may only get me two, three wins. You feel me? And I understand that the risk with Kyle Hamilton is a lot higher compared to the risk if you were to drive Aiden or Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon. But I just feel like you look at the upside, like you look at the upside of having Kyle Hamilton really reach his potential. You have somebody who pretty much may end up being the best defensive player in the football because it's not too many players in the NFL that not only can take away a team's best tight end, but not only help out in the run game, 
but also like affect the game in like that many ways. Like you don't really see that a lot, which is why we're having this conversation and the question being asked of maybe Kyle Hamilton going number two to Detroit. Because if I'm Detroit and I'm their general manager, I pulled the trigger because Detroit is a team that has a lot of needs that obviously aren't going to be filled after the draft and obviously aren't going to be filled when the season starts. However, when you have a team that has a lot of needs, why not go for the player that can, you know, kind of help into areas compared to, you know, some of the other prospects who may only be able to help out in one. And I'm not saying that Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau aren't good against the run. Both those guys are pretty good against the run. All I'm saying is that you're going to have a safety in Kyle Hamilton who is going to help the run defense, which your linebacker unit isn't all that great. So when Kyle Hamilton's on the field, he's kind of like another linebacker. You're going to improve the secondary by drafting Kyle Hamilton. So you have somebody who's good in pass coverage in the back end. Well, at least we think, I think he should hold up in coverage pretty well, despite the fact that he doesn't have, you know, the speed that you would like him to have or you expect him to have. I still think he'll be pretty fine in coverage because, like, people forget Justin Simmons, safety for the Devil Broncos, ran a 4-6-1 when he was coming out, and he's perfectly fine. He's one of the best safeties in the league right now. So I'm not too worried about Kyle Hamilton in coverage. So you have somebody who can guard tight ends, running backs, get in on the run game, and also, you know, hold up his end of the bargain and be what a safety's supposed to be, you know, the last line of protection in the back end. Like, you have somebody who can do, like, what, four things? And this is only one player. So you're pretty much getting, what, three players in one, in my opinion, the way I look at it. So if I'm the general manager for the Detroit Lions, I take Kyle Hamilton at two. He can impact the game in more ways than what Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau could, even though those guys may impact it at a way higher level than what um Kyle Hamilton may be able to do it. But... I think that Kyle Hamilton, if I'm Detroit, he would be my pick. And also with Kyle Hamilton, you know, like if he ends up going crazy right off the back, Detroit is going to have a pro bowler and an all pro. So that's something that you will like to see when you have, you know, a new regime pretty much going in. So I would take Kyle Hamilton with the second overall pick, but you guys let me know who you guys would take second overall if you were the Detroit Lions. Now, every year around draft time, you always have a couple of positions going in that you don't really know who the clear-cut number one is. For this year, it's running back. A lot of people are arguing who is RB1 in this year's draft between Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker and when you look at Brees Hall like I think right off the bat he is RB1 in this draft class because like he is a better all-purpose back than Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker only had 13 receptions last season for Michigan State and during his time at Wake Forest before he transferred to Michigan State he still wasn't really all that 
much of a factor in the passing game. And it's kind of disappointing because, like, he's 5'9", 211 pounds, and this guy is super fast. He has quick twitch. Like, this guy is phenomenal in the open field. Like, I don't know if maybe his hands just aren't that great or if Wake Forest and Michigan State didn't really do a good job of trying to feature him more in the passing game given the structure of their offense. It's just that you would like to see more from Kenneth Walker when it comes to his involvement in the passing game. You look at Brees Hall, like this guy was truly the definition of an all-purpose back at Iowa State. And that's not going off his full three years starting at Iowa State. This is just going off last season. Last season, 2021, he had 253 carries, ran for 1,472 rushing yards, 5.8 yards per carry, had 20 touchdowns. And he also had 36 catches for 302 receiving yards as well. So you look at Brees Hall, look at a running back who, to me, he's... Somebody who you can use in more ways than how you could use Kenneth Walker. Because for Kenneth Walker, if you get into third and long, or if you get into a third down where you have to throw the football to convert, you might be taking Kenneth Walker off the field and putting in a running back who may be a better pass catching option. So for Kenneth Walker, you definitely would like to see his hands be more better, or you would like to see him have a little bit more involvement in the passing game, but that's not completely the full basis of the argument for why I think Brees Hall is better. I also think that Brees Hall is really good after contact, like this guy is a wrecking ball, and Kenneth Walker, to his credit, is also really good breaking tackles and making people miss, not just with, you know, his elusiveness, but also he can run through you as well. He's also pretty powerful, and he's 5'9", 211, like he's not a small 5'9", 211, like he's pretty compact like he's pretty stout and stocky so like Kenneth Walker he also is powerful as well but I just think that Brees Hall is just more of a bulldozer than Kenneth Walker however Kenneth Walker is more explosive than Brees Hall Brees Hall it does take him a while to get into gear his acceleration isn't as fast as I would like it to be for a running back who some people are trying to make the argument that he should be drafted in the first round you would like for him to have quicker acceleration sometimes it takes him a while to hit the hole for Kenneth Walker this guy goes zero to 100 real quick real freaking quick like this guy can take he he literally just it's one cut and mm, he he's gone like against Rutgers he had a big run when he just put his foot in the dirt he just went and on top of that like he's really creative like when it looks like there's nothing and I mean nothing there, he still finds a way to get something he's really good when it comes to turning something out of nothing like a lot of people, when they talk about creativity from the running back position, a couple of years ago, like, I never really understood it. Like, I was like, what do you mean, like, that running back is really creative? Watching Kenneth Walker, I understand it now. When the hole's not there, he's able to find one, or he's able to create his own one. Like, he's wiggle, and he's really hard to bring down in the open field. He has a bevy of ways that he can get past you. He can either run over you, or he can shift past you with a juke move. Like, this guy just has incredible 
twitchiness. Like, I can't even describe it as quickness or agility. Like, this guy just, he has twitch. Like, elite twitch. Like, it's like, he doesn't even have to think when he when he sees you coming up. Like, it's just, he just does it. He just makes a move. Like, everything just comes second nature to him. Doesn't have to think about anything. That's what I mean by quick twitch. Like, he just, he's not like he... I don't really know how to describe it or really put it in the words. It's just like, he doesn't really react. He just goes. So you look at Kenneth Walker. He's a more explosive back. He is quicker to get to top speed compared to Brees Hall. But overall, in terms of who can do more and who's the more complete back at the moment, I would take Brees Hall. I just think that Brees Hall, you look at what he has done, his Three years at Iowa State, the three years of production speaks for itself. That's also another reason why I think that Brees Hall is RB1 going into this year's draft because the three years of production, I don't think there's another running back in this draft class that has the kind of production that Brees Hall has had for the three years that he's been at Iowa State from 2019 to 2020 to last season. No running back in this draft class, I think, has to kind of resume that Brees Hall has. And although Kenneth Walker had a fantastic season for Michigan State, he was one of the biggest stories in all of college football, transferring from Wake Forest to Michigan State. He only has, you know, one year of production. And really, production doesn't really mean much when you're evaluating and scouting halfbacks because you're really looking for the intangibles and you're just looking for the skills and athletic traits and whatnot. And you just look at Brees Hall, man, like, I just feel like this guy's just a different breed. He also ran a really high 40 time as well. Only one second slower than Brees Hall, um, than Kenneth Walker, excuse me. So, I mean, you look at Brees Hall, this guy is a freak athlete as well. Like, it's just that he's just not as elusive and he doesn't have the top-notch acceleration that Kenneth Walker has. However, outside of that, I think that Brees Hall is just a better all-around running back. He's also pretty solid in, you know, pass protection, in my opinion, from what I've seen from him on film. Kenneth Walker, pass protection, I don't really think is a strength of his. I don't also think it's a weakness. I just think he he's okay. So Kenneth Walker or Brees Hall, I'm taking Brees Hall. I think Brees Hall is without a doubt RB1 in this draft class. And I don't think it's by a big margin. Like I definitely feel like the gap is pretty small between Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. It's just that when you look at Brees Hall, you're just looking at a running back that has been able to do everything including being able to catch the ball out of the backfield so he's a true third down back for Kenneth Walker you know like I really don't know how good his hands are I'm not saying that he's not good catching the ball at all I'm just saying that haven't really seen it get what I'm saying maybe it is his hands or maybe it's just the kind of style of offenses that he played and not really featuring the running backs in their offenses so I think Brees Hall is RB1 in the 2022 NFL Draft. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section if you guys are watching this on YouTube. Moving on to the next segment that we have to talk about. Will Malik Willis get drafted in the top 10? Now, Willis has been one of the more impressive prospects 
during the draft process since the college football season was over. He did really well during the Senior Bowl, really well during the Combine. He also had a pretty good showing at his Pro Day. And many people think that he's a lock for the first round, myself included. I would be really surprised if Malik Willis fell out of the first round and was drafted on day two. And the reason why I would be surprised is because, like, he has done so well during the draft process, like, I pretty much already had a feeling that once we got to the combine and we got to, you know, pro days that Malik Willis was going to dominate because his tape at Liberty, a lot of people, you see the potential, but you also see a lot of red flags that shows you that Malik Willis has a lot of room for improvement, a lot of room for improvement, but that's a lot of the quarterbacks in this draft class, which makes this a really intriguing argument because even though this is probably one of the weakest draft classes in a lot of people's eyes, there are still going to be a couple of quarterbacks there who are going to get taken pretty highly. And I think that Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis are going to be the two QBs who potentially will get drafted inside the top 10. Now, you're probably asking JT, like, what team in the top 10 at the moment do you see most likely drafting Malik Willis? Well, I think that the Falcons are really interesting. The Falcons right now have the eighth overall selection. They signed Marks Mariota to a short-term deal, not really a lot of money. So you could bring in Malik Willis. He can sit behind Mariota for a year or a couple of weeks, depending on if Marks Mariota is able to stay healthy. Then when it's Malik Willis turn to step up or Marks Mariota fizzles out. You put Malik in and you have your quarterback of the future. And for the Atlanta Falcons, like they have a lot of needs. So, you know, it may be a little bit of a stretch for them to go quarterback when you consider the fact that they have one of the worst rosters in the league and they probably will be in the running for having the number one overall pick next season or they're definitely going to be picking top three, top five. So they're going to have the opportunity to draft either a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud or a Grayson McCall if they decide to declare for the draft next year. So you're going to have the opportunity to get uh, another stab at drafting your franchise quarterback. You don't need a quarterback this year if you are Atlanta. For the Seattle Seahawks, you know, they may be in a similar situation, not entirely of the fact that, you know, Atlanta's roster is one of the worst in the league. Like, I don't think Seattle has one of the worst rosters in the NFL. However, you know, the roster isn't all that great. It just isn't as bad as Atlanta's. Atlanta pretty much only has about two or maybe three great players, and that's about it. You look at Seattle, they just trade away Russell Wilson. They have Drew Locke. So, Drew Locke, we saw what he was during Denver, and wasn't really all that great. So maybe Pete Carroll and Seattle take a flyer on Drew Locke and give him the opportunity to be their week one starter. However, why not go ahead and draft Malik Willis? Because, I mean, like, if Malik Willis hits, then you can get rid of Drew Locke, who doesn't really have, you know, like a crazy contract, anything like that. So there, were, there really isn't no 
logical reason why Seattle shouldn't draft a quarterback because I mean like you got Drew Locke he can easily be cut or traded again if you want to get rid of him so I really feel like why would you settle for Drew Locke when you have the opportunity to go for bigger and you need bigger and it's not one of those situations where well JT you know like Drew Locke is good enough to win a couple of games like no he's not you get what I'm saying like Drew Locke isn't uh, Jimmy Garoppolo or Alex Smith he's not a quarterback that has proven that he has won he just can't get it done in the postseason like Drew Locke has proven so far during his career that he's not really a great QB so he has a little bit more to prove so it isn't really the same scenario as a San Francisco or whatnot so if you draft Malik Willis if you're Seattle you probably have a similar situation to what New England had. Now, not completely 100% similar, but you know, there are a little bit of similarities in this because you're going to have two quarterbacks who you could start either one. So you're going to have a quarterback competition and depending on who gets the hot hand, that's who you start week one. Now, if Drew Locke plays well, you know, what happens then? Well, then you could maybe trade Drew Locke or you keep Drew Locke or you trade Malik Willis. I don't really know. It'll be, it'll be kind of weird, but you know, Seattle is definitely a team to look out for. Pittsburgh isn't in the top 10 necessarily, but I do think that Pittsburgh is heavily interested in Malik Willis. Like out of all of the teams that I've seen the most rumors and the most stories about connected to Malik Willis, Pittsburgh has been the forefront of you know those stories you know um it was one that came out that said that Mike Tomlin and Malik Willis went out to eat they got wings so I think that Pittsburgh is definitely a team that could end up pulling the trigger and trading up into the top 10 to draft Malik Willis but a dark horse team could be the Detroit Lions because we don't really truly know how Dan Quinn and the front office of the Detroit Lions feel about Jared Goff completely. Like, they could end up drafting Malik Willis and saying, hey, like, we're going to let him sit for a year. And then we're going to end up letting him learn from Jared Goff, who is a pretty solid quarterback. He's not bad, but you definitely could do better. So Jared Goff plays for a year. After that, you trade him away in the offseason or you try to release him. And then Malik Willis ends up stepping up. Or you let Malik Willis sit behind Jared Goff for two years instead of one. Allow him to get double the experience, double the learning. And, you know, eventually start him when you're ready to move on from Jared Goff. And you can save out on his contract by releasing him. So, I think that there are a lot more teams who could draft Malik Willis. But... I think that there is a strong possibility that Malik Willis gets drafted in the top 10. And I think that he won't. I think he probably will get drafted somewhere between um, 11 and 24. Somewhere around that range. Like, I can't see Malik Willis falling out of the first round. Because I understand he has a lot of room for improvement. He has a lot of things that he has to work on. However, the upside and the potential is there. He has the upside to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And a lot of teams over the last couple of years or the last past couple of drafts have swung for the upside. So, 
I don't really think that we're going to see all that much difference this year. Somebody's going to be in love with Kenny Pickett because Kenny Pickett is regarded as the most pro-ready quarterback, which I would agree with. And there's going to be somebody who's going to fall in love with the upside of Malik Willis, who probably is the quarterback who has the highest upside compared to the other quarterbacks in this class. So I could see Malik Willis getting drafted in the top 10. I don't think it'll happen. I think he's going to go somewhere between 13 and 24, but I wouldn't be shocked if it did happen. And I definitely wouldn't be shocked if we seen a team trade up a lot to get Malik Willis into the top 10 to acquire one of those top 10 selections, because pretty much there are a lot of teams who could end up trading down like, Jacksonville, maybe, Detroit, maybe, you know, the Giants have two top 10 picks, so maybe they could trade one of those for more additional capital. So there are a lot of teams that potentially could trade up to draft Malik Willis that I'm not even talking about, like New Orleans, you know, like New Orleans brought back Jameis Winston, but there also could be you know, maybe some internal discussion that, hey, maybe we should go ahead and get our quarterback of the future since, you know, we could get him on a rookie deal that's going to save a lot of cash space compared to how much cash space you probably would have to use when you're playing a veteran quarterback. So you bring in Malik Willis and get rid of Jameis after a year. So now that you have Malik Willis, if you're in New Orleans, you're going to have a quarterback on a rookie deal, which is going to help you out a lot with something that, you know, the Saints are going to need because they have had a lot of trouble with the salary cap over the last couple of years. They've been playing catch up, trying to get their salary cap number down. And even right now, I still think they're under the salary cap. So, you know, drafting a young rookie quarterback and having a rookie quarterback on that rookie deal will greatly benefit New Orleans. It will also allow them to continue to build up their team around Malik Willis. So I think that New Orleans could also be a really good fit. I think Tennessee could be a dark horse team that not too many people are talking about. Just saying, you know, like the quarterback market in the NFL is at an all-time high. Like this is like the quarterbacks that we have in the NFL now are better than the quarterbacks that we've had a decade ago. And even, you know, like the worst quarterbacks in the league a decade ago would be considered to be middle of the pack. So you look at all the teams who are in the need for a quarterback. There's going to be a team that I think is going to draft Malik Willis. I just don't think that is going to be in the top 10. However, I do think that he is a sure-in lock for the first round. Just can't see him getting drafted in the top 10. It's like, it's so many great defensive prospects. Like, I don't think that teams are going to be willing to pass up on a Kayvon Thibodeau in favor of a Malik Willis because, like, the reason why... Um, some teams in the top 10 may be opposed to drafting Malik Willis is because like, you're not going to be able to start him day one. So what's the point of using a first round pick or a top 10 pick on somebody who's not going to have an impact on my franchise right away? Because some teams aren't looking for the future. Some teams are drafting prospects who can come in and help them win right away. So some teams might not be in the market for drafting Malik Willis in the top 10. They may be looking at other players on the defensive end who they would like to use their top 10 selection on. So 
Let me know what you guys think. Do you guys think Malik Willis will get drafted in the top 10? Let me know down in the comment section if you are watching this on YouTube. The last thing we have to talk about before we wrap up this episode of the podcast, Chargers wide receiver Keenan Allen called out sports media on Twitter a couple of days ago. Now, the tweet said this. These sports analysts starting to get real disrespectful on TV. It's one thing to have an opinion, but to say what another person can and cannot do tarnishing people's names because of a bad season or a bad game as if they know it all. See us in person and act all cool. Hashtag puppets. And a lot of people's response to this was, you're mad because... People are doing their jobs. And a lot of people have to understand. Because I definitely understand where Keenan Allen is coming from. As somebody who I guess I can include myself in the sports media world. Like what Keenan Allen is basically saying is this. It's okay to have an opinion about people's performances. But a lot of sports analysts on TV, they make it more than just their job. Like they make it personal. And even though it may come off to the majority of you guys as them just doing their job, you got to also remember that these guys have to bring in viewers. They have to, you know, draw ratings. So they normally add a little bit more oomph to their takes. And oftentimes that will include them piling on the player. And sometimes you'll have some analysts out there. I'm not going to say that no names that continually harp on the same player over and over and over and over again. And then when an athlete catches you in person, you, you want to try to act like you didn't say what you said. And you want to try to justify and saying, Oh man, I was just doing my job. You see, that's the problem with society. You get what I'm saying? Like, we don't like to hold ourselves accountable for what we say. You get what I'm saying? Like, just because it's sports analysts' jobs to talk about players doesn't mean that they shouldn't be held responsible and accountable for what they say. You get what I'm saying? Like, any athlete has a right to be upset with anything that a sports analyst says about them. Just like we have the right to be upset about anyone's opinions that they may have about us rather we like it or not but too many people defend sports analysts like there is a proper way to criticize somebody without making it personal and a lot of people keep saying these analysts are just doing their jobs they're not making it personal but if you watch some of these takes they make it personal they literally like not all the time but Depending on, you know, the kind of relationship they have with the player, if this is a player that they've traded jabs with in the past, they're, they're, they will continue to pile on with them and they'll continue to go at them and things like that. Like a good example, well, I know I said I wasn't going to drop no name, so I guess I lied, my bad, but Colin Coward. So Colin Coward continually goes at Baker Mayfield over and over again after one bad game doesn't really talk that much about when Baker Mayfield has good games but mainly only talks about Baker Mayfield when he's doing bad Skip Bayless continue continually harps on LeBron James like literally like every day it's a Skip Bayless LeBron James hate tweet like it's a difference between professionalism 
and going a little bit overboard with your criticism. Like, there's a difference between professionalism and making it personal. And too many times sports analysts on television don't realize that they're making it personal. Like, it's okay to criticize players. And it's going to be players out there who are going to have soft skin, who may be a little bit more sensitive to light criticism than most. You're going to have some who have tough skin, who don't really care about it at all. But I definitely do understand where Keenan Allen is coming from. And a good amount of people normally agree with players. And there are a lot of people who agree with Keenan Allen, but there are also a couple of people out there who, you know, disagree saying that how can you get upset and try to press somebody for doing their job like I definitely feel like there is a proper way to having constructive criticism and no matter what like no matter how polite you try to criticize somebody like there's going to be people who are just upset with you criticizing them you get what I'm saying I'm not talking about that I'm just talking about the analysts out there who sometimes take it a little bit too overboard and make it too personable. And they have to bring entertainment value because, I mean, like, there's a reason why talk show sports is starting to die out on cable. Because, like, why are we watching talk show sports on ESPN and FS1 paying for those channels when we can watch it for free on YouTube and you can watch me? You know, I'm not the most beautiful looking person, but, you know, I do think I have a pretty good voice for this. So I would think that you guys would like listening to me to me would like listening to me talk. I hope. But that's my thoughts on Keenan Allen calling out sports media. Let me know what you guys think about it down in the comment section down below. And I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure that you Leave a like, subscribe to the channel, upload NFL videos, college football videos daily. Also, make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast, available on every single podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. All you got to do is go to whichever podcasting provider you use or podcasting platform you use type in the jt sports podcast and it will pop up make sure you leave a five-star review and i appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the jt sports podcast